Hey, welcome to episode 68 of the Thodcast, Conversations About Animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, and today I'm joined by my brother, Dawson Elke. Hey, Dawson. Hey, Philip. And I'm also joined by Hannah Lee Smart. How are you doing, Hannah? Hello. I love this movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, fun times. Once again, talking about an animated film. Um, all three of us coming in from the great state of Minnesota. Uh, yeah, last week we talked about the movie Soul, actually directed by a guy from Minnesota, uh, one of the two directors, Pete Doctor, from Bloomet, Bloomington. Yeah, uh, we didn't mention that. Um, Jody can't be, <laughs> yeah. She, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, she wasn't able to make it on this episode, but she suggested last week doing something, you know, in the traditional 2D animated style. And so I was like, yeah, let's look for something um, done in the traditional Disney style to talk about. Um, and I thought, uh, why not? tackle a movie that recently celebrated its 20-year anniversary um too bad she couldn't make it but uh she told us to press on without her so that's what i'm gonna do i forgot to turn off my heater let me just do that quick <laughs> feel that how embarrassing um <laughs> it's always too hot no i i uh, hope it wasn't causing any noise in the background i don't think it was too noticeable here. <laughs> oh boy yeah we're the the joy of zoom podcasting and even if there weren't covid going on we'd still probably be using zoom it's a nice convenient way to do this you invented zoom way before the pandemic uh yeah well almost every episode of the show <laughs> so uh, we should be sponsored by them. No, um, yeah, today we're talking about The Emperor's New Groove from the year 2000. It was released December 15th, the year 2000. It was the second uh, Walt Disney animated feature released that year. Um, almost practically the third because um, the film Fantasia 2000 was released on like what new year's eve or something i think they had some of the earliest screenings at the tail end of 1999 so it was a hot time for walt disney animation and this was their Fantasia. 40th what's this, that wait this this movie came out december 15th of 2000 you said right of 2000 and night and then christmas uh new year's eve of 1999 was fantasia 2000 i I feel like it was. I feel like they did something okay. kind of yeah, unconventional really. with the rollout of that film. That makes sense. Fantasia 2000. Yeah. Uh, right off the heels whole... of Phantom Menace. No, Phantom Menace was a May release. Never mind. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Fantasia 2000 was kind of an unconventional film in general. With uh, But it is considered part of the official Disney animated feature canon Um coming in at an hour and 15 minutes long what let's see what is the release date for fantasia 2000 just out of curiosity i mean 2000 is right there in the title <laughs> release date uh june 16th 2000 in the united states uh, weird because fantasia 2000 is given the parenthetical release year of 1999 on imdb but it did have a december 17th premiere in new york city uh the other film released in 2000 uh, that i was going to mention is dinosaur yep i'm looking right at the wiki page right now <laughs> i i forget about that one i forget it's disney that movie's amazing yeah. though Put you in a time and place. Um, yeah, this is the 40th Gosh. Disney animated feature, The Emperor's New Groove. That was a good year. Tigger <laughs> movie came out too, which I did not see for a long time. But yeah, and it was around this time they were putting out some films in theaters that 
were not necessarily developed for theatrical release, but it was just a big time for animation in general coming off of the sort of Disney renaissance of the 90s. Um, so they would just sometimes distribute films in theaters, kind of like, you know, they'll just send movies directly to Disney Plus nowadays, <laughs> as with Soul. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's start getting into some of our thoughts on um, The Emperor's New Groove. First off, I, I want to ask, uh, I distinctly remember seeing this movie in theaters, as I do with um, Dinosaur as well. But um, Hannah, you, you remember this uh, in theaters? Yeah, um, my whole family, it, this is like one of those weird movies that like all of my cousins, like my grandma, my mom, like all of my aunts are like obsessed with. And it's so random um, to the point where at one time my mom and all of her sisters had like matching Yzma shirts, like <laughs> they're obsessed with this movie. <laughs> So like, that's how I was brought up on this movie. And we used to like do all the scenes and like my older brother and one of my cousins used to like pretend to like walk the walls of our minivan, like the little like scene from the movie. And my mom thought that was so funny. I bet there's a home video of it somewhere. Like I have a deep tie to this movie. <laughs> so it's so like obscure. Well, it was kind of obscure, but um, I, I think it, has deservedly earned its reputation as one of the kind of best remembered cult hits from this era of animation. I don't know, Dawson, you, you're you a couple years younger than I am. Uh, do you remember seeing this in theaters? I sure hope it's not a fake memory because as far as I'm aware, I distinctly remember seeing this movie in theaters because I don't remember laughing harder. I don't remember... Uh, my dad laughing harder. I remember sitting next to my dad and both of us busting guts together. I remember driving to the movie, like, unless it was, because I remember I, going to Lilo and Stitch with dad as well and coming home from that one being like, oh, that wasn't as good. Did Lilo and Stitch come after Emperor's New Groove? I've got the list right here. Yeah, 2000. It did. Okay, so I think we went to Emperor's New Groove together and we were just dying in stitches. And then we went to Lilo and Stitch. And I was like, oh, me and dad going to go see another hysterical Disney movie. And then it disappointed because it wasn't as funny as Emperor's New Groove. Emperor's New Groove is the funniest Disney movie. <laughs> and that's yeah. a fact. It has kind of a very unique style and flavor. Um, it's directed by Mark Dindal. He's the only credited director. Uh, hopefully I'm getting that pronunciation right. Dindal? Dindal? Uh, Mark Dindle. Uh and his previous film was Cats Don't Dance. I remember seeing that in the theaters and that was very uh, like a very obscure film from the Turner Broadcasting Company, like their brief foray into uh, animation. Yeah. If you didn't say this movie was obscure, I would have no reason to believe it was obscure because I went and saw it in theaters and it was like the funniest movie ever. So I assumed that everyone would be seeing it. And Hannah's experiences, which I love and can just like visualize even without knowing anyone in her family. Um, <laughs> uh, it's the most quoted movie among my friend group, like my theater friend group. From, from like my 78 year old grandma will literally say like, pull the lever, like for no reason. <laughs> <Pull> like, <the> <laughs> like it is a generational, like such a good film. Yeah. And it, so funny that David Spade is the lead because you don't think like Joe Dirt is like this Disney like star. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny to me. <laughs> I would say yeah. Joe Dirt came after this, but you know you definitely see the similarities. And David Spade is kind of an institution unto himself. Uh, probably his best known film role before this was Tommy oh, boy. boy. Yeah, and oh. Yeah, that too. Yeah, like, <laughs> regular on SNL. I think this is my favorite thing I've seen him in, though, or heard him in. I suppose. I mean, Tommy Boy is a classic, yeah. obviously. I've never seen Joe Dirt, but um, oh my god! Uh, and even you know, my wife was watching this, or kind of vaguely observing it, because she has all the lines practically memorized too. And she's just all the voice acting in this film is is perfect. Um, and you have, I think, the whole list of actors. But I think it was today where I learned that Eartha Kitt was uh, the voice of Yzma. Because I've always wondered. Either. 
Yeah, I've always like, who is this Yzma? Because her voice is as iconic as iconic can be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so good. Um, Actually, like another short story. This one's like not very fun. But when I was a freshman in college, this girl who I ended up being like best friends with all through college used to call me Yzma the cat behind my back. And like, I did not know that. And she's like, so rude. And one day I like heard her saying it and like, what the heck? And she sent like a little picture of the cat to like a group text. And I was like, hmm. And then I like picked it up and like, honey, that's not an insult. Cause like, that is like the funniest part of the entire movie. So like, you're welcome. <laughs> the shot of the, and I, I mean, the whole movie is like this, that the comedic timing is perfect, but you've, the explosion of the potion, the the glowing eyes of this monster, the deep laughter, and then it just blinks soundlessly into this cute cat that fills the screen and then pans out or zooms out instantly to this teeny tiny. They play with oh, proportions and perspective and exaggerations so much. I It's just, I, I'm like every um, frame of this film just kind of like is gorgeous and breathtaking and, and funny and beautiful to look at. Like, the scale of the environment and the buildings, every room that they're in in this palace is like 500 feet high and like 500 <laughs> feet wide. And like sometimes he's running up a staircase with just a chasm, like a gray chasm on the other side. And Yzma kills a man by uh, the, the royal dresser. She she just pushes him off a chasm because there's chasms all over this palace. That's, and I love yeah. chasms. <laughs> Yes. so abstract and there are no rules it's it's a very anarchic film um it's purely a broad comedy and probably the most broad comedy of any thing from the studio very much like a chuck jones looney tunes um take on on the genre or on the medium but it feels it always it feels more grounded than a Looney Tunes, which mm -hmm. is why I think it is so funny is because it, it you don't expect anything that happens like any of the every the first time viewing, especially. And it's just delightful. Every viewing mm -hmm. every joke, you're not you're not you don't see it coming at all. Cronk shoulder angels when they pop out mm -hmm. of nowhere. You're like, where did this come from? Mm -hmm. And you just. I mean, I just remember dying like that is so I I don't know where they are, you know, the frame pauses and he pops out with a marker and, you know, circles him and crosses out potch the framing devices. It's all. And then, of course, when they're running across and the when the map and they see their map markers like on the ground in real life, I just yeah, I don't know. But there's so many there's so many moments where they where they bring it down and make it real um, to that. Just the contrast, yeah. I think every principle of good comedy and good animation is just executed flawlessly in this film. That's a, per, a it's, it's very memeable. Of course, this was released in the early days of uh, internets. Nobody knew what a meme was at the time, but like, it's kind of this style. It 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 should have gone viral in the ways that you know some some movies do nowadays, but. Um, uh, it did gross uh, $89 million domestically on a $100 million budget. And that budget was inflated quite a bit because of production difficulties. Which I know nothing about. And I saw it in your notes. So I don't know if you're going to, I wouldn't mind if you regale us a little bit. Talk a little bit about it. Um, yeah, $169 worldwide gross. Not great compared to the heyday of the Disney Renaissance. Uh, Hannah, do you know anything about the uh, development of this film? Have you ever looked into that? You know, I don't, but I was thinking um, just earlier when we were talking about David Spade, I wonder slash would bet money that he improvised like a lot of these things because especially like in more recent animations and yes, this was like in the 2000s, but that's still like recent to me enough to have mm -hmm. this happen when an actor is so reputable in their career to be good at improvisation, they will a lot of the times get cast based on that skill. Mm. So I think that's pretty funny. And then he went on with, um, oh dang, the voice of Kronk, Patrick Warburton. Mm. Um, I always say his last name wrong. Um, and they did a, a like a sitcom-y show 
Um, it was called. They did. It was an engagement, I think. Okay, they did that, and you can tell that they're improvising a lot there. And I just think that probably was part of the process. And like, I'm not like saying that's a fact, but I would bet that it is. I wouldn't be surprised at all because his um, deliveries are so good that it's um, it's like, did someone write those lines to be said that way? Or did David Spade say those lines? And then the writers were like, oh yeah, that's it. I, like, I feel like it's so David Spade to do things that like, it would not make sense for someone to write. And like, yes, some of them are simple, but something that comes to mind is when he's doing the little dance and he's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, or whatever. <laughs> that is so David Spade would oh, just oh. do that. Mm-hmm. That it's like unbelievable that someone would do that without him doing it, if that makes sense. I, I, I agree, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so Philip, what can you tell us about? And it's so heartbreaking to hear <laughs> that a wonderful movie that is perfect, that everyone loves, made everyone making it miserable. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, and David Spade probably had quite a bit of room to play because he was brought on board fairly early uh, as the voice of the young emperor Manco, M-A-N-C-O. Um, you know, this movie, I mean, it's, it's so kind of impressionistic and, and abstract, but it's clearly based on like ancient Incan culture um, set in you know Peru ostensibly, uh, llamas, alpacas, you know, popular uh, herd animals in that region of South America, and uh, I, I wonder if that capital city is supposed to be like Machu Picchu or something. It's you know based on that kind of architecture. Um, he, this emperor uh, had sort of a a double character, uh, a young peasant with a striking, striking resemblance to the emperor named Pacha. But at this point, uh, the character was voiced by Owen Wilson. Um, the film achieved nearly like 50% completion. So I'm, I'm guessing that means essentially completed animation as well. But at one particular screening for the lead executives of Disney Animation, Tom Schumacher and Peter Schneider, uh, they hated it. <laughs> they just. <laughs> yeah, it was I mean, I was getting bored just from. Can you imagine having that kind of power? Where were they weeks ago and months ago before they made it that far? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess they weren't just, this was the most completed form that they had ever assembled. Um, and so they maybe just had only very rough versions and little segments before the screening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, these guys, I don't know, they probably got a little bit of a big head after all the success in the early 90s to where they became kind of uh, disenchanted. Uh, and they, they would both kind of leave their roles as animation department heads not too long after. Um, but yeah, they essentially scrapped the film at this point. Uh, the screening took place in like 1997. Uh, sing the singer Sting of the police uh, is brought on to do a whole uh, slate of musical numbers, um, a la Elton John and uh, the Lion King. Of course, one of the Lion King directors, Roger Allers, was one of the originators of this concept, uh, originally titled emperor or wait no kingdom of the sun that was going to be the original title the sting destroy every film he he's in like <laughs> he was nominated for an oscar for the one song of his that made it into this film actually in the end credits uh, my oh. funny friend and me which i i mean I, I couldn't hum it for you is it the slow song at the end in the end credits yeah yeah 
It's the song oh. that kicks off the end credits. Um, the song that no one cares about got nominated for an Oscar. Go figure. <laughs> and I think when they chose the direction of making this into like a madcap adventure, Sting kind of just took a step back and said, you should probably hire someone younger and more hip that matches the, the new aesthetic. Um, and so they went with someone who's 11 years older than Sting <laughs> in Tom Jones, who did the, you know, he's the uh, theme song guy at the beginning of the film. Oh my gosh, I yeah. love that. Yep. They, they, they picked like the corniest possible person. And so that was a good choice. <laughs> Are you a fan of Tom Jones, Hannah? I mean, I'm not not, but I'm not like gonna like buy his t-shirts. I just like, I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, it's kind of you know he'd reached kind of the point of. You can say it. <laughs> oh no, I I'm trying to think of the word. I'm, I'm uh, kitsch uh, at this point in his career. I mean, yeah, he's a revered singer, and he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth in 2005. What? After this film, yeah, he's the from he's from Wales. <laughs> For being the sexiest singer of my century, I dub thee Sir Thomas Jones, Knight of the Order of the Rose and Garter. I mean, he's eighty years old now, but still a catch for Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, wow! Yeah, what's new, Pussycat? <laughs> That's his He's saying a Bond theme, Thunderball, very appropriate. Oh. Um, I've only known him since he was a joke, my earliest, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously, he became a joke because at one point in time, he was beloved. I don't know. I don't really know what people mean when they say yacht rock, but I do kind of just picture like Tom Jones, this kind of like tropical aesthetic. I don't know, the Margaritaville sort of Jer uh, Jimmy Buffett. Hats that wear straw hats and like Tommy Bahama shirts. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Like, he, like Tom Jones. Is he like the preservation of the Rat Pack era music, like into the era of rock and roll kind of like, hey, old people, like you like Frank and Dean Martin and all that stuff. And I know that's not cool anymore, but I'm going to kind of, I'm going to kind of have that same like romantic operatic yeah. balladeer persona, but add a little funk and rock to it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm talking out of my butt because I, I don't know. No, understand. you're right. I think yeah, a more like straight version of that is like Tony Bennett. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, there are a few others uh, that, you know, the crooner style will always be popular to a certain you know, subset of the population but it's not i mean currently who's carrying the mantle for that the most now is seth mcfarland who tours as a yeah, <laughs> yeah the, this um uh wow. you, you just mentioned his frank sinatra style yeah. crooner yeah he does <laughs> show really good were you gonna say something hannah like michael buble does a bit of that now oh of course yeah he's big I, I thought it was just funny to mention Seth MacFarlane for the uh, the animation connection, um, just like <laughs> capitalizing on all the popularity and basically just totally switching industries. Um, Elvis Presley would be eighty five, so yeah. Tom Jones is only five years younger than him. Oh yeah, I I recently caught up with an old like i i have a huge comedy blind spot personally so like i've never seen tommy boy i've never seen joe dirt um i, I mean i catch up with some snl clips on youtube and things like that um the i i recently saw the tim burton movie mars attacks which was kind of a, a wry comedy from 1996 uh, a parody of like the alien invasion, genre, you know, sci-fi genre. Um, and Tom Jones has a prominent appearance in that, which uh, kind of got me first or recently sort of reacquainted with Tom Jones. So it's fun to see him show up again here. 
Um, that that movie would be fun to talk about on the show. I feel it's like especially sort of salient right now with a lot of things that are going on in our country, to be honest. Uh, Mars Attacks. It's a great satire. Um, Grand. Not, but let's talk about Emperor's well, New Groove. Well, the, yeah, the <laughs> style of humor in the Emperor's New Groove is is very interesting. I feel like it was pretty innovative, but it's it's almost got like a very mundane sensibility. It's kind of very dry in some parts. Um, you know, I guess... Um, David Spade's soul style is kind of um, cynical, kind of uh, sat, uh, sarcastic, you know? Yeah, it's, totally. Yeah, maybe the most sarcastic film to this point from, uh, from Disney. It's a good thing you're not a big fat guy. This would be really difficult. <laughs> yeah, like, but... like that. Could you imagine a film saying that today? Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. we have like a two percent rating. He said, "Fat guy, two <laughs> percent." <laughs> like it's like, oh my gosh! You know who else I think is a bit underrated, um, cast wise, is Wendy Malick. Like, um, she's Pacha's wife. I'm just like looking at the cast now. Yes. When I first looked at her picture, I literally thought, um, that it was Margaret Collin, who, if you don't know, plays Blair's mom, Gossip Girl. Um, <laughs> I love that show. Um, anyways, I feel like she is someone that, um, doesn't really, she's one of those actors that's like somehow in like every movie and you're like, who is that? And then you're yeah. like, oh. she's almost like, um, I don't know this lady's name. Um, shoot. Your favorite the mom, role. Like, Four Christmases. I don't know her name. Yeah. Everything. There's just like some of those actors that you're like, wow, you get every single job ever. Yeah. I I recognize her from Spirited Away. That's probably the only thing that I'm very familiar with her being in. But um, like yeah, I'm just... on, I'm on her filmography right now. Yeah. Oh, this is you're, not. You're maybe film. thinking of uh, Mary Steenburgen. There's a million things. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Um, great performance. Wendy Mel. I mean, I didn't know who she was really until researching this uh, episode. Jillian was like, Pacha's wife is a smoke show. <laughs> and she's right. Well, very hot mom. <laughs> I, I guess I, oh, I got my facts wrong. Susan Egan is in Spirited Away. And I thought okay. she was the same as Wendy Malick, but she's not. My bad. And it's the voices like Belle and Meg. Is she really? Okay, then yeah, that's wow, that's crazy. Okay, yeah, Susan, Susan Egan, you rock too. She follows me on Twitter for no reason. Literally, <laughs> you're kidding. That's awesome. Like the day I joined, she randomly followed me, and like that's been since like 2010. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, she was brought the original Broadway Belle. Of course, Paige O'Hara was the oh, yeah, voice in animation. No, but you're right, she did, uh, she was the popular yeah. version of that character. And then she is actually the animated voice of Meg, right? Yes, yes. Yep. Right. Um, okay, I'm looking at Pacha's wife right now. I don't think that she's like particularly like sexy, but I do get what you mean, like more like they put a little more. She was leaning on the new Pixar mom animation. Mm -hmm. Um, what's that? <laughs> Have you seen the Pixar mom memes or whatever? Oh my god. Yeah, Wait. yeah. Oh. oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know how heavily this movie has been memed, to be honest, because I Googled it and there's not like a ton of really recognized. Well, here's a hot take. What do you think of this? So cause I, I think I thought about that before too, where I'm I mostly hear this movie referenced in verbal quotes and I don't see a lot of memes of it. Mm -hmm. It's it's like too pure for memes. It's too good. Like the comedy is too good to be reduced to a meme. Like not it, trashy enough. Yeah, it's not trash. Yeah, it survives by just genuine good jokes and humor that it's kind of treasured and preserved, and people haven't debased it in meme form yet. Yeah, more of I don't. This could be funnier than the things that are in the movie, which is like the whole point of a meme. Mm -hmm. Very, very well said. Yep. Mm hmm. Yeah, this is more in kind of the uh, Princess Bride 
level, you know, reverent kind of a cinema touchstone in terms of quotability. Well, uh, the I mean, it's it, it, it's kind of like irreverent uh, for Disney at the time. Um, just made it especially hilarious, I think. Seeing it, it just seems so fresh. But yeah, like they they had to kind of um, turn. I guess polish this turd of a Prince and the Popper sort of adaptation that it was originally conceived as into something that was very gag centric. Um, and I don't know, The Emperor's New Groove is reminiscent of, you know, the classic fairy tale or parable of the Emperor's New, uh, new Clothes. But I see no similarities anytime i watch this unless I'm, I'm i must be completely missing them i think the only similarity is in the title as well i, I don't know yeah about. It, it's about hubris though right emperor's new clothes that's true yep so kind of a postmodern a basic look at theme. that same kind of theme um you know explicitly clothing and vanity uh, and an image in the original tale, and here it's it's something a bit more intangible. This the rhythm of his life that's just off, um, and he needs to sort of rewire himself to uh, to not be so conceited. Yeah, yeah. He needed to. He, someone Pacha needed to take the piss out of him a, a bit because uh, he's. <laughs> conceited uh and well you know the wealth and the status and maybe yeah the tom jones parallel i mean tom jones being a fixture of like las vegas and of course the kitschiness and the vapidity of that um maybe paralleling uh cusco himself yeah and i think the characters are so well balanced like you need a pacha for every Cusco in the world, if not two, you know? Like, I think it was a very good balance of characters. Also, um, in Philip's notes, he references the part where Yzma's, like, <laughs> hammering the Cusco heads. <laughs> I love that. That is so wild. Like, what the heck? Like, as a kid, we're all just sitting there like, ah like what what is going on <laughs> a little to the left <laughs> yeah <laughs> of course from her perspective it it would be just like a little bit towards me right and then right. from there are little like i don't know visual goofs that this film makes that you can totally forgive just because it's not meant to be taken super literally right Right. Uh, like, uh, Kronk had literally to just walk toward the gate of town. Like, yes, it was very crowded and he lost sight of him. But the gate was maybe 100 feet away. And all I had to do was it's a cart going towards the gate. So it's probably leaving the city. And Kronk just had to go to the gate, leave the city where Pacha was alone on the bridge. Like <laughs> he, it was. But Kronk is very dumb. So, you know. Mm. It's a, it, it's okay. Yeah, but a lot of those little like <laughs> it's played purely for the humor. And um, the 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 bridge to the to the palace. They're on their way to the palace, and this yeah. rickety rope bridge snaps. And they're like, "Well, now it's a four day walk." It's like your one main thoroughfare to the to the capital of the empire <laughs> was one tiny rickety rope bridge. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a four day walk. <laughs> I guess they're at a very they're in a very absurdly hilly part of the country so you know maybe for strategic it's strategically sound to you know be on a very difficult to reach hilltop so yeah. maybe that checks out crazy terrain and this sort of pinnacle of integrity in, in pacha being separated from this you know glamorous world of Cusco by this tiny little bridge and yeah the the infrastructure uh, joining the two of them just being so poor maybe you know could be somewhat metaphorical i guess oh um, <laughs> i think so great and because that's that's the chasm they fall down they fall down yeah. the chasm between their two worlds and both and then they both have to help each other back up and then um and the waterfall and yeah. the waterfall 
Yeah, yeah, just constantly digging themselves into a deeper hole. Um, of course, Cusco wants to renovate Pacha's hill on which renovate his... is. A... <laughs> 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 what did you say, Hannah? You cut out. Uh, into Cusco Topia, which like <laughs> obviously is the best for the citizens. I think it's funny. Um, Creates jobs. How... <laughs> yeah, how they were. It was so obvious that he was referencing like when large corporations like put people out of their home and like don't care about like the poor people. And it's like the rich get richer, build them a theme park. Eminent <laughs> domain. I always thought it, it, it confused me even as a child where he like he he puts it on the top of the hill and he's like, I need to destroy your village. And I'm like, but all the houses are still there on the hill like you don't need to destroy them. Cusco Topia fits on the very top. The only house he destroyed is Pacha's. All the others <laughs> fine, right? Maybe well, he needs water slides or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the whole construction process would probably just wipe everything out temporarily. And so, that yeah, I mean, it makes sense why that would be such an endeavor to necessitate just like removing everything from that hill before it could begin um the the score uh, you know i don't know pacha talks about how well, these hills sing uh i i thought like even just the the score for this film is very pastoral and i don't know uh, picturesque almost um inspires mm -hmm. you know visions of the prairie uh, John Debney is the composer. He uh, he did a great job. It helps lend a certain authenticity and heart and soul to this film that a purely gag-driven movie might not otherwise have. Um, I feel like that's this is the issue you find with a lot of the non-Disney animated features of this era, and maybe even some of the ones that would later be plagued by just a lack of resonance with general audiences um, you know, in the years following this film, you know, movies like home on the range or chicken little just didn't quite have that cultural impact. Yeah. I actually loved chicken little. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I know that we already kind of talked about this once on the podcast, but I feel like Chicken Run came out around the same time as Chicken Little, and I hate mm. that movie so much, <laughs> but I was so glad that there was a new Chicken movie. Well, you're wrong, but... I know, or... you guys both love that. I hate that movie, mm -hmm. and I do not like Claymation, so it was like double whammy for me, like, ugh. Yeah, Chicken Run is 2000, is 2000 as well. Oh my goodness, 2000 was a heck of a year. Chicken Little came out in 2005. That, that uh, movie... I hate that. I hate that stupid chicken. Everything about the look of Chicken Little. And maybe that was the point. Like and That movie has its merits. It does look pretty ugly. And that was actually Mark Dindle's follow-up to The Emperor's New Groove. And Chicken Little's dad, it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, I don't... Um, cats don't dance i it'd be fun to revisit that on the podcast i could see us doing that in the near future um on an episode where we can make sure jody heard of this movie uh is also available but yeah um i, I feel cats like don't dance definitely... girl was a search recommendation before cats don't dance mm. is there a reason for that? i don't know um well, maybe we'll find out when we uh, review it. But Cats and okay, Dance was yeah, released in 1997. Um, um, I don't remember that movie. You don't remember it? Yeah, it was pretty obscure. I think we mentioned it briefly when we talked about uh, Quest for Camelot. <laughs> um, oh, wait, but I remember this girl. Yeah. This little blonde girl. Darla Dimple. Yeah, Darla. She looks like a piece of work. Cats So Dance was uh, distributed by Warner Brothers, and it had a very Warner Brothers style, uh, but it wasn't yeah. developed in-house. Um, of course, now we're on. We're nearing the release of 
the second Space Jam this year, <laughs> scheduled for July. They need to be making sequels of movies that should be not touched. <laughs> With LeBron James. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I was listening to this podcast hosted by the Bancroft brothers who spent a lot of time at Disney animated studio, animation studio, especially when they were still producing uh, 2D animation on the reg. Uh, one of the brothers is one of the, one of the leads on the animated portions of the new Space Jam. Uh, really? Yeah, Tony, who directed Mulan. Wow. Yeah, and he, uh, Tony Bancroft, went from being a director on Mulan to kind of back to being a supervising character animator on Emperor's New Groove. He uh, he was in charge of Croc. Um, Good job. Kind Tony. of expect he, I mean, he still got his director's salary, but you know, I I guess um, it was a just a weird time for 2D animation when they were doing this because um, they were looking into the transition to more CGI animation since uh, that was much more you know marketable at this time. Like CGI animation was exploding with Pixar films and Dinosaur did substantially better at the box office. Um, that made 300 some million worldwide let's see I can't believe they never did anything with that then after yeah. that three um, 350 million worldwide compared to this one's 169 million dollar worldwide what a perfect example of just because something's new doesn't make it's better doesn't mean it's better like everyone wanted to see this crazy new 3d animated thing since toy story but it didn't mean just because it's 3d doesn't mean it's going to be a better story or doesn't mean it's going to be better quality it's just new it's annoying I don't know. Um, did you see Dinosaur Hannah? Yep. And like, I love that little part of like Disney with the big dinosaur before you go on the ride, except for I get so sick on that ride, but Jody loves that ride. So like, I'll be dead before we don't go on it. Yeah. Um, which, okay, hot, hot little sidebar. And then I promise I won't go on too much of a tangent. Today oh, no, I got a fine. that pass holders in California are going to get refunds and no more pass holder program. They're making a new program for California. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just so crazy. Cause like, goodness knows when they'll start like making that, uh, that park available to, to guests on in a regular kind of capacity. Never. Uh, yeah, <laughs> probably never. But like, yeah, it's that the pass holder program there, you know, maybe was costing them some money. I, I don't know. I, it's weird because it is such a significant discount compared to like if you have to pay full price admission every yeah. time as a California resident. Um, yeah, unfortunate, but I... I understand why they'd want to kind of just reset that whole system. Yeah, I think it's um, it's definitely necessary, especially because I don't think that pass holders are kind of getting everything that they paid for already mm -hmm. in Orlando, which personal opinion should already not be open because Florida's tempers are also climbing. But like, you know, mm -hmm. people scream until they go to Disney. Yeah, I recently went to Florida and I did get to ride Dinosaur for the first time. I'd never been to Animal Kingdom, so I just I did the fun. yeah <laughs> fun time um, Animal Kingdom and Epcot because it was my first time uh, experiencing Frozen Ever After is what <laughs> they call it there. Yeah, the new Frozen ride at Epcot. Um, so I, I needed to do those two things and it was an affordable time to go. So just two quick parks and I was out. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully there'll be more Emperor's New Groove featured in the parks, you know, in the future. Because this is just, I feel like this movie has held um, its place in 
the zeitgeist and in the Disney um, canon, especially well. Um, it's just so fondly remembered. It has an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it did get like a direct-to-video spinoff called Kronk's New Groove, in which David Spade even reprises his role. They didn't get James Arnold Taylor to come in and <laughs> do a knockoff David Spade. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, of course, Patrick Warburton returning. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I would be curious to see what further traction um, the, this potential franchise you know would have in the future but for now the emperor's new groove is kind of this perfect little time capsule um don't really want to see them mess with it too much yeah i really hope now that it's on like disney plus that movies like this are more recognized um by like the next generation because i think it is such a fun movie and honestly um speaks to a lot of different people because it's not too serious it's very like slapstick comedy and still has like a moral to the story so i think that's really great it's not romantically driven which is accessible for you know everyone yeah it's very like inclusive and i think um it just teaches you kind of like appreciate what you have and like don't take from others which is such like Mm -hmm. a basic thing to learn especially for kids Mm -hmm. and then it has like so many different like body shapes and sizes and like how you mentioned earlier like a pregnant mom like that's very rare in animation i love also at the end how she is like holding the baby yeah you like had the baby that's so yeah. cute so fun. <laughs> so um yeah like this movie you know was definitely more fondly remembered than the immediate follow-up atlantis and i know there were a lot of like things I was getting from like the D23 uh, email subscription about all these special new um, uh, merchandise offers from Emperor's New Groove and things like that. So there was certainly a to-do when the anniversary passed. Um, It'll be interesting to see what they do for Atlantis because I I feel like that movie was a bit more disappointing and both uh, both critically and commercially. Um, people are saying I hear a lot of people say Atlantis is underrated um, but I watched it in college and thought it was pretty bad so <laughs> I don't know I might have to revisit that uh, maybe I was in the wrong mood or maybe I don't know why I should like it you know but it just it just felt cheap to me and like janky yeah this medium is perhaps a bit better suited to a broad comedy like the Emperor's New Groove than like this aspiring epic tale like yeah well Atlantis treasure planet to be or was yeah. so much better treasure planet was so much better than atlantis and i and people compare the two and think like oh these are two very underrated disney films and i'm like treasure planet is amazing and underrated and atlantis is not <laughs> yeah you're but. right i know um i'll be fun to revisit it soon uh, we, we did treasure planet <laughs> we haven't uh talked about treasure planet on this show no um so definitely on the to-do list. Um, a couple other points. Oh, um, a couple of great scenes I just wanted to highlight, um, both involving food, uh, sort of the two dining sequences <laughs> of this film are probably my favorite. Uh, first off, you know, when um, Yzma and Kronk are having to serve the potion to Cusco. Of course, the lead up to the potion is hilarious as well and you have the famous the box gag i don't know that's was like a revelation (laughs) um and i think there's like some kind of logic deep down behind it too like mailing the concept of mailing something to yourself has a basis in like practicality where like if you want to copyright something one way of doing that is um just like have an official package you know delivered containing this uh the the item you want copyright i mean and and of course it represents sort of the philosophical walk that this character is having to take to ultimately arrive at just straight up murder (laughs) 
so a flea, it, it seems very flea. random at first but like <laughs> yeah there's there's a certain i don't know uh, poetry to it it's it's, it's the the movie is that scene um <laughs> yeah <laughs> really, really. um the there's so many amazing uh stab establishing shots like every scene when every scene or when it's a new scene like there's an image where i go oh yes it's this scene now or it's this scene now like yeah. when they they get through all their um well pacha and cusco they kind of they become friends for the first time and then they they're walking and there's the hill with the diner on it and you're like oh the diner scene heck yeah let's go um <laughs> he they, and the they both they have the idea to dress cusco up as pacha's wife um which is it's i mean i don't think the the chef well they have a no llama sign allowed yeah. for whatever reason yeah. <laughs> um because people bring llamas into restaurants a lot apparently um yeah. but the, the uh what's the the waitress is great she's not having it but then when cusco walks <laughs> in to have a word with the chef which is that something people do or is that just like a is that like a rich person thing well, he's entitled go, yeah. yeah yeah i think but, that's like a early 2000s karen move yeah now Cusco mm. Karen I love when he, he walks into the the chef and the other uh guy the other restaurant um a guy at the restaurant wow the other NPC looks looks at him walking in in his big booty and then turns to Pacha and just goes hey <laughs> yeah. uh, what the heck so good also the food in this movie I know that it's like big bugs and stuff but like it almost like looks good, which is so gross to me. It's like a squash. It I looks like it. a squash. Yeah. And like, so um, even like Kronk is so serious, like when he's making their meal, like, yes. and it honestly looks so good. Um, I watch this girl on YouTube sometimes that will like remake movie food from like Disney and Pixar and stuff. She makes like Mulan's breakfast and it's really cute. Oh, and like, fun. it would be fun to see what someone would have come up with to try to make some of this food because it's so like obscure. Um, but also I think you're right on track about like his entitlement of when he goes into the kitchen because him and Yzma both decide to like go in there and they're the two most entitled people in the room. Yeah. And like, I just think that's so funny. Also, another like really iconic thing to me that they brought into the Kronk's new groove thing, because I just um, I remember slightly watching that when it was like actually on TV. But I rewatched one of the episodes of that today just because I thought it was fun. And I love that um, they kept the squirrel thing because the squirrel Girl Scout, whatever they're called. That is so funny. That yeah, is chipmunks. hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, like, can speak the language and i think <laughs> of course he can another one of those off the wall things that like you just you cannot see the comedy coming like the well for the first they established the squirrel that pulls a balloon out of its pockets and and pokes it to activate the jaguars and then you're you're not even sure you'll see the squirrel again but they bring the squirrel back and it's just the only reason isma and kronk have any idea where to go is because kronk says apparently the llama gave him a hard time today and it's like <laughs> Oh, and now we're right back into the story. And he and how does how does he know the squirrel tells them where to go? And how do they know how the squirrel talks to them? Well, Kronk can speak squirrel, of course. It's just it's <laughs> beautiful childlike logic and imagination that I want more of for myself. <laughs> and it's so believable. We're all like, of course, he, yeah, duh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, Kronk. I mean, he's he's a talented chef. Uh, definitely not the brightest bulb on the tree, but um, you know he can speak squirrel. <laughs> so you know, very useful to have around. Um, you get the sense that he's like a new henchman from Isma. She trades in <laughs> trades in her henchmen like cars every ten years or so. <laughs> um, yeah, the, like the dinner scene, of course, it's just so mundane. Um, and, and like they're talking about workplace stuff. You know, now that you've been let go, you know, what do you see yourself? You know, where do you see your, it's it, I guess it's like the office style humor mm -hmm. before the office was popular. It is, yeah. No yeah, hard feelings a little about bit for everyone. Also, the saddest part of the whole movie is when he's like, You threw off my groove, and the old guy's like, oh, so sad. 
<laughs> yeah, very morbid. He's like, I'm sorry. Is that the Winnie the Pooh guy? Uh, or... oh, what else he does? I mean, it's not Sterling Holloway or Jim Cummings or Jim. Yeah, no, it's um. It sounds like it gosh. could be the the one guy who is in everything. Um, it, it's someone. John something. John Fiedler. Nice job, Anna. Wow. Surprised myself. Actually. Yeah. Okay. He plays a uh, piglet in in a lot oh. of stuff. Oh, that makes and sense. like he's like Mac in Cars. Like there's like a few Disney people that are in like a bunch of random stuff. He's in like Bugs Life. Not, yeah. yeah, Bugs Life. Um, I think he plays the caterpillar, which oh. also that iconic. Yeah, he he was the original piglet in the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Um, so he he did pass away in uh 2005 well we appreciate his work yeah thank you <laughs> thank you for throwing off the groove <laughs> where are we at now well yeah i mean we're we're probably ready for some final thoughts i don't know i i imagine this this movie i mean probably benefited from just kind of a a spark having to just sort of throw a lot of things at the wall after a bit of a disastrous uh, screening halfway through production. Uh, and yeah, like a departure of one of the directors, even, you know, Roger Allers, he, he, and he would go on to direct the first ever Sony animation studios film called open season. <laughs> I don't know if any of you remember that. Uh, no, and Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher's oh. in that. Yeah. Um, I remember that one. I liked that one when I was a, a lad. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he did, which is weird. Cause like he also did that short film for Disney. that was released the same year as open season. The Little Match Girl, which is like the best thing ever. Yeah. But of course, it it's the most sad thing ever. Um, that maybe took them a while to just like dare to release it, just because it is so gut wrenching. Which um, every time. But I I kind of wanted to maybe talk about Little Match Girl on on the show, maybe as like a Christmas special or something, but. Maybe. I feel like that would be a mini episode because it's a mini, it's a short film. Well, of course, yeah. Oh. And, you know, just to uh, sometimes during the holidays, schedules are, are tough. So uh, I don't know. And I don't know that I have a lot to say about it. Other exactly. Than it's, it's, one of my, it's one of my favorite short stories of all time. I love it. It's beautiful. And it does make me cry every time. Yeah. That's it. I don't know. Martin Lawrence was the bear character in... Um, little match girl no in in the open season and uh, ashton kutcher is the deer um of course cusco being uh peruvian that means he or uh, incan i guess makes him the second um native american protagonist out of three thus far in the disney canon the third being uh, kenai from uh or is it kidai Whichever. No, Kenai from uh, Brother Bear. And of course, Jody brought the complaint about you know people of color in Disney movies being subject to unfortunate transformations for the majority of these films' runtime. Um, so I guess that puts Cusco into that category as well. I mean, it's it's pretty innocuous. Um, in the and the weird thing with Kenai is like he stays a bear <laughs> at the end of that movie. Well, wouldn't you? <laughs> I guess. Right. What about the country bears? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> that is a very Rich Evans movie. <laughs> oh my goodness! I've never been more uncomfortable in a movie theater. I didn't want to go see it. I got drugged to see it, and I was squirming. I was angry the whole time. Wait, do you guys? like the country bears like thing never seen it country bears, I, like I, or the ride 
I remember hating it. I remember hating it. I mean, I don't, I have, I only saw it once when I was a little kid. It might be good. It may be, I just had a bad attitude because, you know, kids, but I just, Truly I remember hating it. more magical when I was a kid. Jody hates it. Like we never, mm. like, it's so annoying. She makes me go on all these things that I don't want to go on. And then she's like, we're not going to the Country Bear Jamboree, by the way. Like, well, yeah. we're like planning <laughs> our trip. Yeah. There's a and Country it, Bear ride? It's not like a show. Yeah. Um, it's like a, you sit in the theater for your little break in the air conditioning and like the, there's like the girl bear like sings to you and there's like the country bear jamboree. It's like a stage show. Um, but it's like all animatronics. Um, what came first, the ride or the movie? Uh, oh, the, the ride, the, the, well, the attraction, it's not a ride, mm. but yeah, that that's, you know, they did a whole bunch of theme park attraction spinoffs around okay. this time. You know, I was going to say, there's no other reason for this movie to exist. <laughs> yeah. um, it's like one of my like favorite Disney things, only because when I was little, we used to go all the time to Disney. <laughs> Not all the time, but like once or twice a year. Um, and my mom really likes the Country Bear Jamboree. And then going back as an adult, we went like... Um, when I was like a junior in college, maybe like a sophomore. So like a few years ago, like four years ago. Um, and it was like a little less magical. And then this last time when I finally tricked Yodi into actually going to the Country Bear Chambry with me um, on one of our more recent trips, like the bear fur is just like, a, like Disney needs a touch up on that. Ooh. But I don't think it will last much longer because a lot of these like older classic Disney rides, like they want to keep it so intact because I think the backlash of updating rides is always such a hindrance on them. Mm -hmm. But I do think that they need to upkeep it, you know, like yeah. you need to update the attractions and like keep them well. And I don't think that it's well kept. Like you can tell it's like an animatronic now more than you put in like the 90s. Yeah, some of these things definitely could be replaced by more appealing, you know, like I have more attractive, like in today's media landscape, types of attractions that are more like intellectual property based. Um, but I, I don't know, I, there's a part of me that wants Disney to try to preserve some things purely for archival purposes yeah. so they can afford to do that, you know. Just make the park bigger. Mm -hmm. Don't get but rid of things, just add like, new things. Like in archives, like they could do like, and I don't think they should get rid of the country bears. I just think that like, you can tell that they need like, like put new fabric on it. That's not like you know, damaged from all the lights from years of use, like put yeah. new fur on it, those kinds of things. But I also think then what do you do? Like that stuff is sentimental, especially like to me, like that's like memories with my parents. Maybe there needs to be like similar to the Hall of Presidents at Disney, like that style of an attraction of like, um, like Disney rides of the past or like, you know, like the Disney legacy park thing, because yeah, there, that would be such a cute name for it. Um, there is a Walt Disney Museum, but mm -hmm. I think it has to be a bit different. So you could have like a Country Bears thing in there where you could see how it looked. But I'm also like on your same page, Philip. of I think it might take away from that experience for the people that are still attached to it. And is it popular enough to survive without the nostalgia? Well, yeah. upkeep isn't the same as changing. I mean, like you'd think the basic maintenance would, would be going on constantly anyway. And maybe it just needs a slightly bigger basic maintenance. Um, I don't yeah. know. Like Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, they, they added a couple of things here and there, but it's not like they, um, you know, removed all the animatronics and put new ones in. They kind of just, you know, they, they keep yeah. it fresh. Right. Yeah. Right. Oil and keep them pretty good. Like it has some pretty good animatronics uh -huh. and like, you know, they're animatronics, but they're pretty good. And even something like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean now has the advantage of having that brand association with the major film franchise. So that increases that mm. rides yeah. uh, marketability in that regard. But yeah, uh, it's a, it's a tricky scenario because like uh, sentiment isn't necessarily the most profitable thing to bank on <laughs> um yeah so 
this uh, shall conclude our Emperor's New Groove conversation on the Thodcast. Um, any final thoughts? I'll just leave the table open or the, you know, the leave the floor open, whatever you want to call it, uh, <laughs> for anyone to jump in uh, one last time before we close things out here. Uh, anybody? Not much. It's the funniest Disney movie. Yeah, ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Very it funny. really is a ten out of ten. Yeah. It is yeah. a perfect movie. Yeah, I I agree. Um, you know, he uh, Cusco calls a monkey a chimp at one point, which is kind of a weird what mistake with chimp in the butt. <laughs> Considering most of the time it's it's the <laughs> other way around, people call chimps monkeys when they're <laughs> apes. Well, he's just a doofus dude, and Chimp in the Bug has a better ring than Monkey in the Bug. Well, and that might just be like part of the David Spade ad-libbing type thing, you know, the the whole conceit of the, you know, he's Deadpool making these fourth wall references uh, before Deadpool was popular. Um, (laughs) Maybe they did just show him like early, you know, animatics of these sequences and just had him riff in this in the studio uh who knows but yeah so uh brilliant you know sort of ahead of its time film a lot of interesting humor for a a disney animated film um and i don't know i uh have very fond memories one of the films that i will revisit perhaps more frequently than almost any other just because it is so um, palatable um, you yeah. kind of just watch put it on and be in any mood and enjoy it um, a short hour 22 minutes long so yeah check out uh, the emperor's new groove on disney plus um, and thanks for joining us um, the thodcast is available you know itunes wherever podcasts are found essentially google podcasts um soundcloud spotify stitcher uh and you can find us on our website thodcast.com um at thodcast on twitter and instagram uh hannah do you, you have a social media you want to promote <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah uh, i'm hannah lee ever after on instagram um lee is l-e-i-g-h which everyone is always like what um and then just hannah smart on twitter Always like talking the talk. Yeah, thanks for joining, Dawson. Uh, do you want to sign off? I know you don't really like to plug any, you know, online presence or anything. Now get off uh, the the phone. Um, get off the so, phone. But yep, this has been me. All right, thanks guys, and uh, we'll thank be you back on the Thodcast. Uh, everyone listening, thank you all so much, and you have a magical day, a wonderful week. Warm hugs. I forgot to say that this um, has my favorite. uh, This is this Disney film has my favorite breasts in it of all time, which would be Yzma's. So, (laughs) oh boy, yeah, it's like it's almost like uh, Mister. Oh, what's his name from Fairly Odd Parents? How his ears are like on his neck, Mister Crocker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These breasts are on her like abdomen. <laughs> <laughs>